find our scripture this morning is Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse number 25. I woke up this morning and I thought about what a dreary day it looked like outside, raining, kind of cold. I thought about how wonderful it was to know that I had this wonderful place to come and worship and to be a part of the, uh, the people who are here and to be a part of worship together and to, and to just express how much we love Jesus uh, through the things that we do here this morning. If you would, stand with me for just a few minutes as we honor the uh, reading of God's Word. We begin in verse number 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Thank you, God, for your word. I pray, dear Lord, that we will be true to your word more than anything else this morning. And I pray that as it applies to our lives, we would take it and use it for the intention that you have. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Been working on this sermon most of the week, and I'm struggling with an inter- introduction to the to the sermon. You wanna you wanna have an introduction that pulls people in and grabs their attention and gets them to stay with you and stay focused on what you have to to say. And I just couldn't come up with anything. And I don't know. I studied this sermon uh, last night. I studied it yesterday morning. I studied it yesterday afternoon. I studied it last night. Have you ever gotten a subject on your mind so deeply that it goes to bed with you and you dream about it? Well, I did last night. I dreamed about revival last night. And not in the sense that you're thinking about. I dreamed about myself, and I, it was one of those dreams. You ever have those dreams where you wake up and you're a nervous wreck? This was one of those dreams I had. I dreamed last night that I went to a church for a meeting, for a service, And when I got there, it dawned on me that I was supposed to preach and it was a revival. And I I had forgotten it. You ever have those dreams? And I was just frantic. And then I realized that there was a church across the road and that I had also booked to do a revival at the church across the street. And I wasn't prepared for either one of them. And so I promise you, I woke, I told myself in my dream, wake up. And I woke up. And I stayed awake for a few minutes, and then I went back to sleep and went right back to the dream. Any of y'all ever do that? 
And in the dream, I realized that I was going to preach at one of those churches, but I wasn't dressed appropriately, and I didn't have the appropriate clothes with me. So I called someone to bring me the appropriate clothes to wear, and I am waiting on them to get there, and I'm listening. I'm in a bathroom waiting on my clothes, but I can hear where they are in the service, and they're getting closer and closer to me filling the pulpit. And here's where the dream gets real odd. It was Johnny Hunt who was waiting on me to come and preach in his church. Now, that's, that's a real stretch. That's a real stretch. But and then I got my, and, and I woke myself up again. I, and, and I, but I went back to sleep, and I went right back to the same dream, and I couldn't get my clothes to do right. And they're waiting on me in the auditorium. I, they're still waiting because I woke up. But I, that's, that's, I've had this subject on my mind so much that I, I, I dreamed about it all night. But we're going to dream, we're not going to dream this morning. We're going to look at a real revival that happened. And a real revival that happened in a real difficult place. A prison. Paul, I want you to think about this. One writer said this about Paul. When Paul went to the synagogue, there were riots. And when Paul went to prison, there were revivals. It's, a, it's an interesting thing to look at. But God was with him in such a powerful way that he caused a commotion wherever he went. And I want to bring this to our focus this morning. I don't know where you are this morning in your life. We come to Sunday school and we come to worship service and we come and we sit and we do our best to put on a brave face and we do our best to, to look like everything is going well. But a lot of times it's not. A lot of times there's an inner turmoil, and a lot of times there's things going on that we just don't share with other people. And I want you to remember and be sensitive. When you go to Sunday school or you go to choir or you come to worship service, someone may be acting different or difficult. You don't have any clue what they're going through or what they may be struggling with. Always keep that in mind. But this morning I want you to know whatever difficult place you are in, whatever difficulty you are dealing with, you can have the presence of God there with you in the midst of that, and you can be in a revival. I want to look at just a few things uh, this morning about how we as Christians can begin to have revival in our lives, and that revival begin to flow to other people. First of all, we look at this text that we see this morning, and we see two Christians who are in real prayer. In verse number 25, it says that Paul and Silas prayed sometimes we ask you know we look at all the work that there is to be done we look at all the situations that there are and we look at our gifts and our abilities and they may, may not match up to what's happening at the present time but if people if anyone ever asks you what can I do the one thing that we can always say to them is you can pray there's never a time there's never a situation where someone can't pray and Paul and Silas have found themselves here in this situation, and they begin to pray. Now, they have good reason to pray. They are fastened together in a Roman jail cell in Philippi, and they have been beaten. They have wounds. They have pains. They have aches. They, have, um, they need healing. They feel alone. They feel desperate. And so they have good reason to begin to cry out and pray. And you and I, this morning, we may be in a place where we have great reason to cry out to God and pray 
and ask for his help in our situation. I, I read a quote this week that said, Blessed is the affliction that drives us to our need. Sometimes it may be our health, it may be our family finances, it may be our job. If you're a student, it may be something at school. But sometimes there is an affliction that comes upon us that suddenly drives us to our knees. Now listen, these two men had prayed before the trouble had come. And they're still praying. Uh, praying people, praying people still encounter difficulties. Do you know that for a fact? Praying people still encounter difficulties. But here's what I think the difference is. I think that from my experience, when I am a person of prayer, I'm able to see that difficulty sooner, and I'm able to know how to deal with that difficulty quicker when I'm a person of prayer. And Paul and Silas are people of prayer, and so they see this difficulty, they're a part of this difficulty, and they recognize it. And look here what uh, Luke, the writer of this, says. He gives it specifically and tells us when they begin to pray. They begin to pray at midnight. They begin to pray in the darkest hour. Now, it's not convenient to pray at midnight, is it? Some of you have probably been in situations where you worked a, an odd shift and you were uh, working at night and you went and you probably, I, I probably pr prayed during that time. Or you probably had some alone time with the Lord during that time. But most of our situations are where we, I, I want to be in about my third hour of sleep about midnight. And sometimes it's inconvenient, but sometimes it's at that moment that God needs me to pray. Sometimes it's in our darkest hour. Sometimes it's in our most difficult situation when we seem that we need to pray. But let me tell you this, it is never too dark for you to pray. Never too dark for you to pray. Our God can work powerfully in any situation, whether it be light or dark. God is there. And here's what I want to bring out that I brought out last week. Prayer is always the foundation of a revival. It is always prayer. D.L. Moody said this. He said, every great work of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. Charles Stanley said these words, I have never lost a fight on my knees. Never. He's a man of prayer. And this morning, I want to challenge us in a, in a significant way I want to challenge our church to pray in a, in a significant way. And I want to share it with you. Easter is coming. It's January. It's the second Sunday in January, but Easter is on its way. April 21st will be Easter when we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And here's what I want us to do until that time. I want us to find another person until Easter. It may be someone that you work with, it may be someone you go to school with, it may be someone in your family, it may be someone who is, uh, it may be someone in your Sunday school class, in your D-life, it could be anyone, but I want you to do this until Easter. I want you to find someone and I want you to specifically pray for revival in the other person. You understand what I'm saying? I want you to pray for revival in the other person that you partner with. And that's all, that's all I want you to pray. I want you to pray for your prayer partner. I want you to pray that that person become more intimate with God, deeper in their relationship with God, 
and that God begin a revival in their life and in their heart that will change them significantly and dramatically in such a way that they will have an impact for the kingdom on other people. Now what happens when we're in revival? We talked about this last week. When we're in revival as an individual, it can't be contained. We tell other people about what's going on in our life. Now, I want, I want, I'm going to challenge you again this evening. I'm going to challenge you again next week. But I want you to pick someone, and I want you to, to ask that person. And let me tell you, some of y'all are real popular. Some of y'all are going to get asked more than one time. That's all right. That's all right. You pray with as many people who, who will pray with you. But I want you to pray with another person. And I want you to pray one prayer. I want you to pray. If Darren is my prayer partner, I'm going to pray to God every day and say, God, I want you to begin a revival in Darren's heart and in his life. That's how, is that hard to do? It must be. Is that hard to do? It's not. So I want you to, I want you to think and pray about that, and I want you to pray specifically for that. And let's see what happens. Because here's what Paul and Silas prayed specifically, believingly. They prayed specifically to God. They were in a Roman jail, and they knew that it could turn even worse for them if they didn't pray and cry out to God. They didn't pray some vague, now I lay me down to sleep. They got straight to the point. And when we pray, we need to get right to the point with God. Now, if I was riding down Highway 9, and I'm just going along, headed down to Cracker Barrel, and I look off to the left, and I see Julie's house is on fire. She lives down on Highway 9 on the left if you're going down. And I look and I see, and Julie's house is on fire. And I pull up in Julie's driveway, and I go to the door, and I knock. And Julie comes to the door. She has no idea. Now, am I going to stop and say, Julie, I love what y'all have done with the shrubbery and the, and the landscaping, and I love the color scheme y'all have. And is, that, is that how I'm going to approach her? I'm going to say, Julie, get, get Sissy and Lindsay's grandkids and get them out of that house. It's on fire. And grab Randy if you have time. I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm, gonna, I'm embarrassing Julie. All, uh, she's going to get me later. But I, I'm, I'm going to get straight to the point. When we go to prayer with God, do we a lot of times just beat around the bush and, and say, and we, we add all these these and thous and thuses and things that we think are going to make, uh, make us sound really intelligent to God? Let's go to God and get straight to the point. Now, one of the points that we need to make right now is we need a revival. We need an individual revival. We need a revival in our church. We need a revival in our community. And I'm asking you over the course of these next few weeks and until Easter to pray specifically for someone to become in a state of revival. Don't be vague. It is very urgent that we pray this way. I gave you this quote last week from Steve Gaines, the pastor at Bellevue Church in Memphis, the past president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He said this. He said, we can elect all the good politicians we want, but if the churches in America don't experience genuine revival, our nation is doomed. It is urgent that we pray this way. So let's get to the point of praying and asking God, repenting for what we need to repent of, and then asking God to give us revival. So we see two Christians who are praying, and then we see two Christians 
with the right attitude. It says they sang praises. In the midst of this prison, they're singing praises. Now the praying is not strange. It's obvious that they should pray, but then it says that they are praising, and that seems like a miracle to us. Now they had a lot of reasons to feel defeated. If you read the chapter of Acts chapter 16, they have a lot of reasons to feel defeated. They had answered the Macedonian call. Paul and Silas wanted to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit spoke to them and forbade them from going to Asia. And after that happened, they had a vision of a man in Macedonia who said to them, please come and preach the gospel here. We need you to come. We heard testimony last Sunday evening. One of our members talked about how he sat at home in the midst of a deep, dark place, and one of his cries to the Lord was, Lord, send somebody my way. Send somebody to minister to me. We live in a community filled with people who are giving us that Macedonian call. Please come and minister to me. I'm hurting, I'm helpless, and I don't know what to do. And you have the answer. They, they had been obedient in that. They'd been out winning souls. If you look in verse number 14 and 15, they led the first convert in Europe, a, a lady named Lydia. They led her to Christ and her household. They had been prayerful. In verse number 16, it tells us that they were headed to pray when all of their problems started, and they were arrested. So they had all these, they'd been doing all the right things, but still trouble came their way, and still affliction came their way. Now, tomorrow, you may wake up and you may say, I went to church yesterday, I, I was in Sunday school, I taught Sunday school, I was in the choir, I, did, I, I was there, I enjoyed the service, I, I really, I, I went home, I, I prayed, I, I, did, I, did, I took the challenge that Michael gave us, and, and I asked somebody to be my prayer partner, and guess what? Tomorrow morning, the whole roof may fall in on you. Something bad may come your way. But our example here of Paul and Silas is that even in those things, we praise God. Look what they do here. They blend their petitions and praises together. In the original Greek, it says that they, it says praying, they were singing. They were singing at the same time. Now, they were probably using some portions of the old Psalms, and probably occasionally the Holy Spirit would give them something new to sing. Maybe there, they, maybe they may have been a foreshadowing of casting crowns. They may have sang, in the, I will praise you in the midst of this storm. Who knows? I wasn't there. But I know this, in the midst of this, they were praising God. And here's what it shows us. When we pray, praise is an essential part of our prayers. When you pray, do you praise God? Do you praise Him for His mercy? Do you praise Him for His grace? Do you praise Him for His love? For His kindness? For His long-suffering? Do you praise Him that He created something brand new in you and you're not who you used to be? You should be. Now here's the real good part. It says the prisoners were listening to them. The prisoners were listening to them. Now that listening is a rare verb that is used to say that they were listening with pleasure. 
No complaints. Think about that. A large group of people and somebody singing and nobody complained about what they were singing. It wasn't a Baptist church, was it? <laughs> Amen. No complaints. The prisoners are hearing these praises and they're drawn to them. They're drawn to these praises. It's a new experience for the prisoners. And it is wondrously attractive entertainment to them. It is a true worship experience that they're a part of. They are listening to two men who have a walk with Jesus that is so strong and so powerful that even after they've taken a beating with whips and rods and put shackled against a wall with murderers and thieves and all kind of people, they're still praising God. They're still singing praises to this Jesus. They are, these people are exposed to true worship. You know what the world needs to hear? The world needs to hear our prayers and they need to hear our praises. The world hears enough bad things. The world sees enough evil. The world needs to hear our praises. I can remember as a lost person going to work and I would be around people on Monday who went to a church service the day before and you know what they did during the time uh, on our breaks, what they would talk about during uh, about their church service? About what they didn't like. They'd talk about the music. They'd talk about the preaching. They'd talk about the color of the carpet. They'd talk about whether the preacher wore a coat, whether the preacher wore a tie, they, and, and, and all these things. And I would sit there on my break as a lost person, and I, I, I rarely ever heard them say anything positive about their experience at church the day before. And then every now and then, one of those people would what? Invite me to church. I didn't want to go to church with them. It was horrible. I'd heard them say, I'd heard them say, talk about it. It was horrible. Why, why would I want to go to your, I was thinking, why do I want to go to your church? You said the preacher was horrible and the singing was horrible. I don't want to go to that. I can sit at home, listen to my mother's gator tapes. Be just as happy. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you say. Our lost and dying world needs to hear the praises that we have about the Lord Jesus Christ. They hear enough bad. They need to hear us talk about what God is doing in our lives and what God has done in our lives and what God is going to do in our lives. They hear enough bad. Paul and Silas here are focused on God's power instead of their problems. There are days when I look and my problems can overwhelm me. I look at all the different things going on in my life, and if I sit and look at it long enough, I'll go and lock the front door and go back to bed and not even want to deal with the day. You know what? God is not in heaven sitting, wringing his hands, saying, what in the world are we going to do about Michael's problems? They're, too, they're just big, and, and, they're, and they're great, and, and, and I just don't know what we're going to do. God is powerful, God is sovereign, and God is at work, and God, and we don't need to walk around afraid. And we need to be like these men and we need to understand that we should focus on God's power instead of our problems. God's not overwhelmed. And, and these men believed that God would deliver them. They had absolutely no doubt because of their past experiences and how he had delivered them. They knew that he was going to do it again. And here's what is so wonderful about this. 
is during this moment, they had the opportunity to identify with Jesus in his suffering. They had the opportunity to think about the suffering that Jesus went through as he went to the cross, and they had the opportunity. You know what one of their praises was? One of their praises was this, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to suffer as you suffered. That's an amazing thing. When you get to where you are in your walk with the Lord and you can say, Lord, thank you for this. What did James, the writer of James said in James chapter 1, be what have joy in every tribulation because it's working something for us. It's growing us and making us more like Jesus. Jesus is, they, these men knew Jesus was victorious over death and Jesus would be victorious here in their situation also. And we see two Christians here in the right place. They begin to pray, and they begin to praise, and an earthquake happens. Have you ever known that you were just right in the right place at the right time? That's a wonderful feeling to have, to know that you're in the exact right place at the exact right time. These two men have that experience. An earthquake comes, and suddenly the wall slides, and they're loose from their chains, and they have the opportunity for freedom. But someone is interjected into the story here at this point. He's a Philippian jailer. And when this Philippian jailer realizes what has happened, he's not prayerful and he's not praising, he's fearful. Because he is responsible for every man there in that prison. And if one man is loosed, then he loses his life. And so he's fearful. And he cries out, he cries out for a, a, a light. And he sees this. He draws his sword and he's about to kill himself. Now he's a Roman soldier. And so he's probably steeped in stoicism. And stoicism says that at the end, when you face a, a, a situation that is greater than what you can conquer, it's okay to take your life. And so he's at this point here to where he says, I'll just, I won't face the consequences, I'll just take my life. But the Apostle Paul and Silas are two different people. They're, they're the people that say when you face a situation that you can't get around and you can't avoid and it's too much for you, then you cry out to God. And this man comes in and, and he wants to know where everyone is. And Paul says these reassuring words, we are all here. Because God had designed it for them to be there. And God had designed for them to be with this man. And they were in the right place. Are we in the right place as Christians? Are we in the right place as it relates to being at church? In relation to the church, it's just that simple. We need to be here. Are we in the right place in relation to the world when we realize that we are to be in the world but not of the world? We're not to be a part of the world's value system because the world's value system goes completely contrary, contradicts everything in God's value system that we know in Scripture. And so we're to be in the world but not a part of its value system. And are we in the right place in relation to the Lord are we abiding in Him first and going to Him first and understanding how important it is? And then 
we see this. It comes to this culmination in verse 31. We see two Christians who have the right message. Look at verse number 31. And in verse number 30, he brought them out and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Now what was he wanting to be saved from? Was he wanting to be saved from the earthquake? Was he wanting to be saved from the Romans who were going to take his life? Both of those things are their realities. But in what he has witnessed and what he has heard and what he has, now he knows he wants to be saved from his sin. And he wants, he wants to know what these two men know. And so he asked this question, what must I do to be saved? And what's the only answer, what's the only answer that Paul and Silas can give him? There's only one answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved, but not you only, but your whole household will be saved. And what does he have to believe? He has to believe in the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and then confess that he believes that. And Paul says when you do that, you'll be saved, you and your whole household. That's the question of the hour that the world is asking. What must I do to be saved? What, what must I do to, be, uh, to, to know this peace and forgiveness and this love and this kindness and this patience that Jesus has. And we have the answer. And we need to be quick and ready to give it. The only answer is Jesus. Jesus himself who said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. This man had been raised in a society where when he went to a temple, there were hundreds of choices of gods for him to worship. Paul narrows it down and says there is only one and he is Jesus. And he's saved and look immediately what happens to him. Immediately he goes into a state of what? Revival. He goes into a state of revival. He takes these men and he washes their wounds and he sets a meal before them and then he rejoices alongside of them because he's in revival. Now I want you to look at, at Paul and Silas real quickly. They are refreshed in this revival. You may be in a difficult place, in difficult circumstances, difficult situations. You may be weary. You may be beat down. You may not be able to sleep. It just seems like it goes on and on and on and you can't get away from it. But this piece of scripture here gives us hope that at some point we'll be refreshed. Because Paul and Silas are taken and their wounds are healed, their needs are met, and they see lives changed and souls saved. Paul's greatest ministry of all the places that he went for the Lord Jesus Christ 
his greatest ministry was here in Philippi as he would write the, the book of Philippians, the letter that he would write back to this church. It is filled with all the joy that he had because of his relationship with these people and it started in a prison. Wherever you are in your circumstances, know that God is going to deliver you at some point. Now let me tell you the difficult part for us to wrap our heads around sometimes is this. It may not happen in this life. Okay? Let me be honest with you. It may not happen in this life. Our churches are filled this morning and some of them are filled to capacity overflowing because someone is standing in front of them and saying, hey, everything is going to be good because you're a Christian, you're not going to suffer, you're not going to have any heartache, any troubles, any woes. I'm here to tell you that's not the case. We're going we're gonna to go through things, we're going to suffer things, and at some point in this life, God may choose to deliver us from that, but if He doesn't, we still have the promise of eternity and, his, and our deliverance there. It, our healing may come in heaven. My favorite theology is this. I shared it with you before. When someone asks me, how am I doing? I always say, it's gonna, how are you? It's going to be all right. That's the best theology I know. It's going to be all right. No matter what I'm going through, at some point it's going to be all right. It may be in this life that God answers and delivers it. It may be when I collapse in the arms of Jesus, but at some point it's going to be all right. And when you get that, and when you can hold that in your heart, and when you can understand that, you can't help but be in revival. No matter where your difficulty is. So this morning, in looking at these scriptures, and in knowing these things, and hearing God's word, where are you in your life with the Lord? Are you in a difficult place? Are you finding it hard to praise the Lord? Are you finding it hard to look to heaven and to say it's going to be all right? Let these words this morning that Luke wrote some 2,000 years ago encourage you to know that it's going to be... It, let's be honest. It didn't get any better for Paul. Paul went from prison to prison and from shipwreck to shipwreck and beating to beating. But there was that moment there in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 6 through 8, when Paul said, I have finished, I have finished my race. I've done what I was called to do, and now at this moment, I know that there's a crown of righteousness waiting on me that Jesus himself is going to give me. Let that sink into your heart this morning and rejoice in knowing that Jesus has it covered and you're going to be all right. And get that in your heart and keep that in your heart and stir that in your heart and pray about that over and over and over. And I promise you at some point you're going into revival. And revival doesn't stop with one. Revival spreads like a fire. Will you, can you be that one this morning? As we pray this morning, would you pray with me? Father, for those who are here this morning and are suffering difficulties and suffering situations, and they're finding it hard to praise, and they're finding it hard to pray. Lord, let us look to these scriptures this morning and know and understand that you are working on our behalf and you are moving on our behalf and that we need to keep crying out to you and we need to keep praising you because you are our hope and our deliverer. 
And Father, let these words seek into our heart. Let us look to someone else and ask someone else to pray with us about revival in each other's lives. And let us be steadfast and steady in doing so. Father, if there are those here this morning who have never begun that relationship with Jesus, and they need to come this morning and say, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and I want to confess that, Lord, give them, give them the courage to do so. For those who need to be a part of baptism, remember, whatever it is, if people just need to come here this morning and pray about revival or pray about their situation, whatever it may be, give us the opportunity now to worship as we are led by your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? This is a time of worship, a time of invitation, a time for you to do whatever it is that you need to do for the Lord.